The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Our guest on the podcast this week is Danny Inney, CEO of Miracy and a leading voice in the world of online courses. He's been featured or contributed to publications including the Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur, Inc., Forbes, and Business Insider. And he's spoken at places like Yale University and Google. And he's the author of books including Leverage Learning, Online Courses, and Teach Your Gift. Now, I've known Danny for about a decade, I would guess now. And in the early part of those years, that relationship was really when I found him online. And he was like a breath of fresh air. I'm not joking. Uh, In the online space back then in kind of, uh, you know, like it was around 2010, something like that. And um, he really stood out to me, not just for his mastery in the space, Um, But also because he truly cares about making real sustainable change and doing that online. And so, you know, when I really think about the way Danny's career and his business has evolved over the years, it's no surprise in a way, because he really is a very inclusive and compassionate leader. He's someone that I really like keep an eye on and, and watch and learn from because he's been a mentor of mine over the years. And this conversation is no different. You're going to hear us talking about Danny's passion for the online training industry and the opportunities that are around today to really make a bigger impact online. And of course, the hybrid course revolution, which is the title for our conversation today. Now, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation because I know many of you, you know, as the change makers, you're you're looking at the online world if you're not already on there and you're considering how to expand your impact online. How can you use this digital space that we now have all have access to to really grow your impact, grow your influence in the world so that we can really, you know, start to shape a better future for us all. And if you want to do that in ways that you know gives better results the entrepreneur or business owner also to your clients or your customers um, and also you know keeping in mind the world at large and what the world needs from you then check out Danny's work because he really is a pioneer in this space of integrating all of those different elements. And you can see all of the links for Danny and his work are in the show notes where you can learn more. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Danny. Hey, Danny, welcome to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Jane, thank you so much for having me here. I'm just thrilled and excited. Oh, I'm I'm really looking forward to our conversation today because, you know, there's many things about you and your work in the world that has really inspired me over the years. And I know you're going to inspire our audience today, so I can't wait to dive in. Now, our listeners have heard your professional bio, but I'd like to take a peek behind the scenes with you, Danny, and ask something about the real life human that is behind that. Who is he? 
Um, I mean, you know, I'm a lot of what you heard in the bio is like a core of who I am, but I'm also very much a dad, um, probably before just about anything else. Um, as we're recording this, I actually just got back from um, a, a father-daughter trip with my daughter that I took her for her birthday. I tried to do a trip with each of my kids one-on-one -on -one for their birthdays. We missed a couple of years because of the pandemic, but um, it was just a wonderful experience. And um, that's, I mean, that's the biggest part of my life. Yeah, yeah. And I love that because, you know, just by what you've described there, you're sharing something that's, to me, very human, very compassionate. And that's kind of how I think of you when I think about you, even professionally, is you show up as a, a compassionate leader and, and someone who's very human, which I have to say is a rare thing in business sometimes these days. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, I, I feel like we've, that, that's just, I, I don't know any other way to be. Um, right. People have, have asked me sometimes, like, why have you made this, you know, a, a part of your culture, your organization, or your, I'm like, well, th this is just who I am. And it's, it's weird to me that something like this would be a competitive differentiation as well. But as long <laughs> as that's the case, I mean, sure, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, so let's let's kind of dive deeply um, straight at the beginning. And, you know, when I think about, when I look out into the world today, you know, we're going through some seismic changes and there's a lot of conversations around what this is and the meaning that people are attaching to it. So I'd love to start straight here and, and see kind of what sense are you making about these times that we're living through right now? So I have thoughts about that on a kind of, you know, global societal level. And I have thoughts about on a, you know, specific to my industry of online business and online courses. So uh, where, which of those directions well, do you want to go? Let's or, or start both? in the big, let's start in the big system, the global like societal level. Let's start there and see what you make of it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously the world is in a crazy place. Um, you know, it feels like every year the, the etch-a-sketch of the of the lives we live gets shaken up just aggressively. We've come out more or less of a pandemic where you know we we had everything upended. And that has prompted what a lot of people have talked about, right? A kind of great reflection. Mm -hmm. Right. Some people are talking about the great resignation. Or I, I think really it's just it's a reflection. It's a it's a taking a pause, taking a step back and being like, well, wait a minute. I've been kind of working on autopilot muscle memory for maybe too long. What do I actually want? What am I taking for granted that I don't want to? What am I doing reflexively that I don't feel the need to continue, et cetera? And I think people are coming out of that with a heightened focus on just a need for meaning and purpose and substance, right? Mm -hmm. People want something real and something that matters. I, I wear uh, one of the shirts I wear often, and it's, I should uh, give a little context. I'm terrible at shopping. Um, <laughs> and I'm terrible at like I have no fashion sense and so you know I get novelty t-shirts with slogans on them and I just choose the one with the intention that I want for the day right. and one of the ones that I often wear says life is short do stuff that matters mm. and I feel like that really reflects the the energy of the time that we're in right now for a lot of people 
Yeah, so you mentioned that, like, you know, we're all in this space of reflection. And I, I think this is happening at different levels of system as well. You know, like for, for us as individuals in the West, we're really starting to look at our own lives, like you're suggesting. But I think this is having a ripple effect into people's careers and their working life. Because, of course, we spend most of our, our, our hours in any day, specifically uh, Monday to Friday, we spend that in our careers, in our in our workplaces. And I know that that's changing as well. So what's your sense of what's happening professionally? How's that impacting people's careers? So, so it's an interesting question. It's interesting for me because I've never kind of seen a distinction. Right. Right. Like even, you know, going down to like a really nitty gritty, like I don't have my, you know, work to-do list and my personal to-do list. I just have my to-do list. Right. I've like, got everything on it. I don't really like distinguish that that division. And so I think everything that we've been talking about applies, it applies in a personal context, but yeah, of course it applies to work. People want to do work that is meaningful, that is enriching, that is aligned with their values, that is not creating um, an extreme imbalance between one part of their life at mm -hmm. the expense of another. Right. So in the sense of do people want to work themselves to the bone to, you know, what's the what's the line? You know, people work too hard. They work too hard to um, earn money that they don't need to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. Right? <laughs> like we don't yeah. we don't have the desire to to continue doing all, all of that. Um, so I think in that sense, it, it, it completely fits. Yeah, it totally does. And, you know, I'd love to know, how has this impacted you? I mean, what's your reflections? What's bubbled up for you during these times? So it's a, it's a tough question to answer in the sense that not much has changed for me um, because I don't draw those distinctions and I've always kind of focused on, well, what is it that I want and what am I excited and passionate about? And you know, I've had the good fortune of um, being in the right place at the right time where my particular skill sets intersected with an opportunity in the market. And so, you know, I've done reasonably well for myself. And as my business has grown, you know, I got to a point relatively early in that journey where I was like, you know, doing my planning for, you know, coming out of a year, looking at the next year, what are my goals? What are my plans? And I realized that if I wanted to, you know, I could scale down my work very significantly. I could work the equivalent of like, you know, 10 hours a week or three or four months out of the year and take home a nice, you know, high six figure, low seven figure income if I wanted to. And at the time I was in my early thirties. And so it's like, well, okay, let's say I do that. I mean, what am I going to do with all the rest <laughs> of my time? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not done building things. And so you know, I imagine that if I was in a job that I hated or working with people I don't like or doing things that I don't enjoy doing, then, you know, I might have had many of these same reflections that many other people did. But, you know, that, that's just not the position that I am in or have been in for a long time because I've, I've been very intentional about what I am building in my life. I could be working a lot harder too. I choose not to, right? I'm, you know, I'm on the one hand, I work probably seven days a week at least a little bit because I like to, and I want to, um, and I work weird hours. I start very early in the morning cause I'm a super early bird. And then I take a long break to get my kids ready for school and hang out with them. And then I work the day and, and by 4 PM I'm done. And, mm -hmm. you know, there are 
we do big events a few times a year. So like three times a year, I'll work a little later than four o'clock, but, you know, barring that, like, I don't care what the opportunity is that's put on the table in front of me. If it's after four o'clock, I'm just not interested. Because <laughs> that's, that's family that. time. That's time to be with yeah. my kids. You know, and what you're modeling there is something that I think there's so many of us aspire to, is, is a life that we're truly living is truly our own. It's defined and created by ourselves. And we're not living something that somebody expects us to, you know, like maybe our parents or our spouse or even our friends or colleagues expect us to kind of show up or be in a certain way. And I think that's something I've always respected in you. It's something that kind of, I don't know how it comes through your messaging, but it it kind of does. You always appear very present to your life, not just to the services that you, you bring to the world. So let's go there because, you know, um, one of the things we talk about a lot on the Sacred Changemakers podcast is are the changes and the transformations we stand for in the world. So tell us about what that is for you. Yeah. So, um, I mean, as, as we're recording this, you and I have video on, I know people won't, won't see the video, but that poster behind me, that's like our mission and values as an organization. And right at the top, our goal, we exist to make the world a better place through business education. Mm. And that sounds like a, I mean, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but it sounds like a bullshit <laughs> Silicon Valley kind of like, you know, we make the world a better place through, you know, data logarithmic optimization, whatever, <laughs> like, you know, it sounds like something like that, but, but here's how I think about it. I think for, first of all, business is a very misunderstood idea. People think business is all about making money mm-hmm. and that's a part of it. Making money is important, but the way I think about business, business is just about sustainably getting done whatever you care about getting done. And of course, profitability is part of sustainability. If it's losing money, it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. But you know, I see such a gap in, in the world in this area. You, know, you, can, you can spend hours, if you're like lacking inspiration, you need to get fired up. You can spend hours watching videos on TED. And if you really need a lot, you watch them on double speed. So you're like machine gunning it. <laughs> And at some point you're like, all right, I'm, I'm inspired by all these things we know how to do and all these problems we know how to solve. And you close your laptop, you look out into the world, you blink because, wow, it's bright. And then you're like, wait a minute, all these, all these things we know how to do, all these solutions to problems that we have figured out, where the hell are all of, all of them? Like, why am I not seeing them in the world? And um, there's this uh, line that I love from Walt Disney. And he said, if you can dream it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And I love that line because on the one hand, it's inspired so many people to do so much, myself included. But on the other hand, it's so not true, right? <laughs> Just because you can dream it does not mean you can do it. There's a massive gap between dreaming and doing. And, and that gap is bridged by business, the ability and skill of getting things done that you believe in in a sustainable way. And so you know, we work specifically in the context of we help people grow their businesses online and we help them turn their expertise into online hybrid courses, et cetera. But that is an instance of empowering people with the business skills to make their vision for a better world in, in whatever scale or dimension or pocket of existence that is making that real. Mm, yeah. 
And, and that is just such a, a noble kind of intention, I believe, because one of the things for me in my own journey, when I moved from the UK to America, I'd built a very successful business offline and then moved to America and then realized I'd left all my clients behind in Europe and suddenly had to like learn the online world. But what I'm noticing is how the online world is shifting and changing and evolving alongside what's happening in, in kind of real life. And, you know, and I know that's something that you're tracking as well, particularly in line with, you know, the, the, the work that you do in the world. So I'd love you to just walk us through that a bit, because when I think back to, I came here in 2009 and I learned internet marketing from the internet marketers, let's just put it that way. And I knew that some of that wasn't really going to resonate well with my audience. And so it's been a process of me learning what works online and then trying to kind of bridge that gap to my audience to make it palatable. <laughs> um, and, and now I'm feeling things are really kind of speeding up a bit and coming in a much more, I don't know whether I'd say, human but it feels like that it feels like it's becoming more human the way that we deal with each other online and less about you know like more profit at any cost kind of thing so I'd love to get your sense of of how you feel things are evolving online yeah well so I think there there's layers upon layers of what's going on right so we've already talked about right. kind of the societal layer yeah yeah and so you know, that affects what people want and expect and all that sort of stuff. But then we layer on top of it, just the landscape of online business in general. Mm. And, you know, you've got to keep in mind that the landscape of online business is relatively new. I mean, a few decades ago, there was no online anything. Right. Right? <laughs> right. And whenever you have a new market, a new opportunity, it's going to follow a very predictable pattern of adoption as it kind of gets into the market as a whole. And so, you know, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this has seen some variation of um, what's called the, the diffusion of innovations curve. So you've got, you know, your, your, it's a bell curve. You've got your innovators and your early adopters and your early majority, et cetera. We've all seen some version of that. And that's how innovations kind of diffuse their way into, into a context or environment. And so the early days of internet marketing, who was, who was raising their hand and jumping in? It was the innovators and early adopters. And their psychology is very different from what you see in a mature, grown-up, stable market, right? These are people who like to be on the cutting and bleeding edge. They tend to be very impulsive buyers. So anyone who's listening to this, if you've got a closet full of crap that you ordered on Kickstarter, <laughs> right, you're an innovator, <laughs> an early adopter. And, you know, I say that right. being one myself. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Right. So we like to be on that cutting edge. We're much more, we get more excited about the potential for incredible upside than we are concerned about the risk of downside. Right. right? That's just our psychology and that's fine. But then you've got to remember that we represent a significant minority of people as a whole. And eventually you kind of get into this mainstream and, and it's not easy for something to cross into the mainstream because, you know, majority of buyers, the, the early and late majority, they're like, show me something that works. I don't want it to be on the cutting edge. I want it to be solid and tested. So how do they know something solid and tested? They're like, show me people who are using this. And the marketers are like, well, look, look at all those innovators and early adopters. They're using it. And the majority is like, yeah, but they're all crazy. Show me someone <laughs> like me. 
<laughs> and so it's, it's this whole process, right? And there's a lot of books that have been written about that. But what we've seen over the last few years, and it was happening gradually, and then the pandemic kind of shoved everyone into the deep end of the pool, but this move from it being the realm of innovators and early adopters to being the realm of really mainstream, regular people. And their expectations are different, right? You know, a really easy illustration, if you think back to the early days of the first smartphone, right? It was a brick. It was huge. Mm -hmm. It ran like four apps. It crashed half the time. The battery life stunk. It was super staticky and it cost a fortune. And innovators and early adopters were excited to pay that fortune for that limited functionality, right? Fast forward to today, it's a mature market. Mainstream buyers are like, no, I expect the battery life to be good, the form factor to be great. I expect it to work well and I expect the price to be reasonable, right? So the, the expectations are just very different. And so that whole world of internet marketing has kind of undergone that evolution. And so, you know, it's, it's really shifted away from something that is, kind of more resembling what you'd expect to see at 3 a.m. on the infomercial channel and more in the direction of how we expect to be treated and sold to and transactioned with everywhere else in a mature place in the market. Mm -hmm. and, and then, of course, there's the layer on top of that of online courses specifically, which I'm, we can go into if you want or you know, we, we can go wherever you want with this. Yeah, well, definitely, because I know the title of our conversation today is The Hybrid Course Revolution. And from what you're describing here, Danny, it's almost like, and, and I've, I've had quite a few clients talking in this way, we've started to think about like pre-pandemic and there, or, or pre-lockdown and post-lockdown, let's say it that way, because we're not quite through the pandemic yet. But, um, you know, this idea that there was this old world where things worked in a certain way. And now we're in this space where it's almost like we're beginning to define a new world and, and our clients, our customers are demanding more from us. Mm -hmm. So can you speak to that, particularly in terms of online training, because, you know, a lot of our listeners are, they are trainers, they are the change makers, they are the people that stand for transformation. So understanding that the online market now is in a more mature place than it was, could be enticing some of them back into the online world, because, you know, I know there's been a lot of well, there's been a lot of data. We all know that in the old world, you know, 97% of people weren't finishing online training courses. And this was something that wasn't really spoken about publicly. But those of us that were in the space, we knew that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd love you to give us a sense of this old world, new world, and really what is working today. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, everything can only make sense in context. So, you know, 30,000 feet, let's start with this. There's only one reason why anyone would want to pay money for, I mean, I'm, we're talking about online courses, but you know, any product or service really, right? The right. only reason we pay money for, for something, specifically an online course in this context, is it because it offers you a shortcut, right? Mm -hmm. It's a way for you to get to an outcome you want in less time, with less cost, or with less risk mm -hmm. than if you were trying to do it without that assistance. Right. right. That's why we buy just about anything. And so in the context of online courses, we have to look at the environment that we've been operating in and say, well, what does it take to deliver a shortcut? And, and the answer to that has changed over the last couple of decades. So if we go back to the early days of online courses, let's call it um, the years, let's say 2000 to 2012, 
let's call that the first age of online courses. I call that the age of access, right? Back then information was scarce. It's hard to remember such a different world, but like if you wanted information, it was hard to find. And so if you, as the course creator were to just compile a bunch of that information into a course, it's a shortcut, right? Those of us who remember those days of, you know, these bloated $2,000 information products that have no training, no support, no, it's like, here's a bunch of videos, best of luck to you, right? Terrible value. How did they quote unquote, get away with it? Well, they got away with it because it actually was a shortcut in that landscape, right? This was information that you couldn't find anywhere else. And that lasted for a while, but at some point information started to become ubiquitous and abundant, right? Now there's blog posts about everything. There's YouTube videos about everything. And that brings us to the age of convenience. And that was about 2013 to 2018. And at that point, it's like, no, I can find the information I want anywhere, but I don't have time, save me time. So don't just put everything I need into a course, leave everything out that I don't need, <laughs> right? That's the shortcut. And that was great for a little while. And then even that became table stakes. Yeah, of course, I'm going to include what you need and take out what you don't need. But the challenge is that, you know, there continues to be this abundance and growth of content everywhere, not just informational content, but content everywhere vying for attention. Mm -hmm. And this brings us to kind of like 2019, 2020, 2021, the years of the pandemic, primarily, when we're at home, locked in front of our screens, 24-7 news. There's a great book by uh, Johan Hari about the um, the, the decline of our attention span and ability to focus. <laughs> and so the challenge now is not just give me what I need, don't give me what I don't need. It's also hold my attention while you do. And this was the age of entertainment. And this was the heyday of gamification, right? Because your course is essentially competing with YouTube and Netflix and Hulu. And so it's got to be entertaining. And that was great for a little while as well. But that ran out too. And, and I'll tell you where that went, but I want to first call attention to something you mentioned earlier, this sense of acceleration. Mm -hmm. So that first age, 2000, 2012, 12 years or so. Second age, 2013 to 2018, six years. Third age, 2019 to 2021, right? Now we're looking three years. There is an acceleration. Things are starting to move faster. We're picking up momentum. Right. And where we ended up, why did, why did this gamification period, why did that stop working? Well, because gamification is fundamentally a tool of motivation. Right. And motivation is a very misunderstood concept. People imagine that you can motivate your way to do just about anything under the sun. No, that's not true. Motivation empowers you to do to the best of your ability what you are already capable of doing. But motivation does not empower you to do something you don't know how to do. <laughs> right? right? If, if I show you a complicated math equation, you're like, I don't know how to solve this no amount of dancing unicorns are going to help, right? <laughs> you need some instruction on how to actually do it. And that is where we arrive at the place we are today, the age of transformation. This is where the world has said, yes, I am willing to pay for a shortcut. I want an outcome, but I am, and this is the conversion of all the trends we've talked about. I am a mature mainstream majority course buyer. I don't want to take crazy risks. I want to know that I'm getting real value. I'll pay for that value. Right? The, the mainstream majority is who spends $100,000 on a college degree. So they're, they're totally fine spending money when it feels like a safe investment that's going to get them to the outcome they want. Mm -hmm. And so now the question is, well, what legitimately delivers transformation today? And that's where hybrid comes into play. 
And I've been talking a lot about hybrid over the last year. And, and the question I get asked most frequently is, well, wait, what exactly is hybrid? Does hybrid mean that we include gamification? Does hybrid mean that we do it with cohorts? Does hybrid mean that we include coaching? Does hybrid mean micro learning? Does hybrid mean, you know, and the list goes on and on. And my answer is always yes. It's all of those things because hybrid is not about finding the one magic silver bullet that you hope will fix everything. It's about having, I'm going to mix metaphors here. It's about having access to the entire toolbox so you can apply whichever tool fits in your situation. And that's where real possibility gets unlocked. And actually, I have a great um, example I can share. If, if mm, please. Okay. Yeah. So one of our students, his name is Ian Roberts. He's a painter. He's been teaching painting for decades. And he wanted to bring his business online. The pandemic had just begun, et cetera. He had a list of about a thousand people he had emailed in a long time. So we're like, all right, we'll, we'll start with that. And he created a course about drawing compositions, how to figure out when you're drawing a picture, what goes where on the page, essentially. And he was like, I, I want to deliver transformation. I want it to be valuable. I don't want it to just be some interesting videos about this. I want them to develop the skill. And so he put the lessons together. He gave people assignments that they had to complete. And very importantly, he closed the loop. So they would submit their assignments. He was like, I'll record a short video giving them feedback on their assignment, right? And I'll do that. It'll take me two, three minutes. I'll do that every week for the duration of the course. So great course sells it for $450, which is a premium price in that market, right? That's a significant amount of money for people who want to learn how to draw. Um, and he does the launch. It's phenomenally successful. It does $128,000 in sales. And he's like, that's amazing. And then he's also like, wait a minute, you know, I'm on the hook to deliver a lot. So he faces this crossroad, he thinks about it. He's like, you know what? All right, I'll work super hard for a few months. I'll put $128,000 in the bank, you know, fair deal. So he does that. People have a great experience. He gives them feedback, but his experience is awful. Mm -hmm. It gets so bad that his wife comes to call his office the loom tomb because he's just locked in there nonstop recording these loom videos. And he comes out of that and he's like, look, that was great financially, but I don't ever want to do that again. So we're like, all right, let's, let's re-engineer this experience. How do we make the experience for the student as good or better, but make it more manageable for you? And so he integrates a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of feedback and support structures. He adds a buddy system. He adds feedback structures. And then we go back and we launch it again. And he does even better. This time he brings in $570,000. So an amazing, amazing success. But his work to deliver on it is a lot less than it was the first time. Mm -hmm. That's the power of hybrid. It's like, how do we apply all the tools we need to create the best outcome for the student in a way that is leveraged and scalable for the teacher, for the entrepreneur, so that really everybody wins? Yeah, and that's so important, I think. I really hope that our listeners have heard you when you've mentioned that, because that is one of the, the kind of traps that a lot of like entrepreneurs and change makers and coaches and consultants get stuck in this space of service, because we usually come to this profession because we really truly want to make a meaningful difference in our world. And sometimes we get that the wrong way around. We'll do everything in service of people and we'll follow models that we see online. But what 
I love about what you're talking about here, Danny, is you're really talking about integrating different modalities in service of better results for the clients, but also better results for the person who's actually, you know, taking them through it, whether they're a trainer, a coach or a consultant. Because one of the issues I've had with the like the coaching industry, one of the challenges I see in the industry, and I, I work with a lot of coaches, is that many of them have walked through, let's say, a very narrow door in terms of coach training. And then when they actually get clients in front of them, they start to realize very quickly that just this one narrow door is not necessarily enough to get the sustainable transformations they want with their clients. And what you're speaking to here is really a, this space of integration where we're really bringing together different elements here so that there are, and so correct me if I'm wrong here, there are some elements that will be asynchronous, meaning that people can, you know, 20, some of the online training could be 24 seven. People can watch that in three in the morning if that's, you know, they can fit it into their lives more easy, easily. So the convenience comes in. But then there's live elements. There may be coaching, whatever it is that you put together in your definition of hybrid. Is that right? So that we're actually really working to the entrepreneur's strengths and at the same time, you know, really being client centric towards what clients want and need from us. Is that right? Yeah, it is. And it's really important to kind of like highlight and underline and emphasize it doesn't have to be all of those things, but you have right. the option of doing all of those things, right. right? It's not that it has to be part live and part pre-recorded. It's that you have a slider from all live to all right. pre-recorded, and you get to slide that dial in whichever direction fits your situation, right? right. It, it's just like, so, okay, 30,000 feet, mm -hmm. every strategy will work some of the time, no strategy will work all of the time, right? Even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> and there are always cases where it's like, look, this is just not the right configuration for what we're trying to do right now. And so the key is understanding the boundary conditions, right? right? You know, the, the tool, the strategy, the approach, whatever it is that you learned, it's good for certain situations. It's not good for others. Let's know what the limit is. And where you get to really create wonderful things is when you have access to the entire toolbox. Now, as a, as a carpenter who has an entire toolbox, you're not gonna use everything in that toolbox for everything you try to build. If you're a chef in a kitchen, you wanna know how to use all the ingredients. You wanna have all the ingredients. You're not gonna use all the ingredients with every dish, <laughs> right? You wanna have all of them and use them, the ones that are appropriate in the right proportions to create the great thing that fits what you're trying to do right now. And it seems here, you know, that we're talking about something that I think is a challenge in the or has been a challenge in the online training industry, which is, you know, I, I can see this, you know, this this method, this system, this process, whatever I'm being taught online. But how do I bridge that into my world, into my client base, into the modalities and the transformations I want to bring? Like, how how do I kind of know what what will work for me and my audience you know is there a way for me to find my win inside of what's being taught online well so the root of that is you know we talked about the the profiles of different segments of people adopting an innovation right so one of the things that are generally characteristic of innovators and early adopters is that they tend to be um overconfident and over optimistic right, right? and 
aligned with that kind of at the same time as that, when you've got any new market, there is a dearth of providers inside that market. And so anyone who goes in has a disproportionate share of voice. It's, it's unreasonably easy in the early days. And so all of that comes together to attract people who are sometimes less than expert and less than professional, mm-hmm. right? And those are just the dynamics and nothing against the individuals. They're not necessarily uh, badly intentioned. They're just, you know, they don't know any better. There was a truism for a long time in the internet marketing world of, of online courses that, you know, look, if you read five books on a subject, then you know more about it than anyone but a real expert. And that makes you a de facto expert. So that's all you need to do to teach about it. And, and my, my stance on that has always been that like, well, first of all, there's a big difference between reading and really understanding five books, <laughs> right? But I don't think you should be teaching about something you don't have real legitimate expertise. And the online world is, is no exception to that. There are a lot of people who've been teaching without having the proper knowledge and understanding and rigor. And so what that means is that they say, well, I did this, I had this great result and they generalize, this must work for everyone. I mean, the number of, just as an example, the number of Facebook experts I've seen, it's like, well, I know everything about Facebook advertising. Check out the amazing success I've had advertising courses about yoga to middle-aged women. And I'm like, you're not an expert in selling everything on Facebook. You're an expert maybe of selling courses about yoga to middle-aged women. That's, that's a very different thing, right? Like, and nothing against that, but the boundary conditions are important. And so the mark of an amateur is that they don't have a good sense of the boundary conditions of the applicability of their expertise. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in, in the systems and the processes and the approaches and all that that's being taught out there, can many of them apply to you or to anyone listening to this in, in your or their situation? Probably, but it takes some expertise to know where, how, to what degree, and in what way you need to draw those limits to say, this will work, this won't, this has to be adjusted. And someone who has a depth of expertise will be able to do that. Someone who doesn't will be like, oh, yeah, this should just work for everyone. Right, right. And that's a really important distinction, I think, because, you know, I'm kind of as you're talking, I'm thinking about our listeners here and probably some of them already have online courses that may or may not be be delivering the results they want for themselves and their clients and then there may be some listeners that are just thinking okay so maybe they've got a successful consultancy career or a successful coaching business or you know maybe they are greater on offline retreats or workshops and they've got the expertise to actually bring this online I mean what advice would you have for those folks well I'd say for everyone Right, you know, you could you could put everyone listening to this in one of two buckets, right? There is the bucket of people who are like, online courses are doing currently for me and my business and my life everything that I want them to do, and that's usually an extreme minority of people. And then there's everyone else for whom online courses are not doing everything you want for you and your business and your life, mm-hmm. and and that can mean I have seven online courses, I'm just not making quite the money I want. That can mean I have none and I want some right? There's a gap between what I'm getting and what I want to be getting out of this endeavor. And to the extent that there is a gap, they need to figure out, well, what do I need to know? And what do I need to do to bridge that gap? Recognizing that that gap, like anything else in the world, is a bit of a moving target. And and frankly, it's a moving target, even if you're completely happy with everything you're getting from online courses in your business, right? It's still a moving target. Expectations in the industry are rising and changing. And you know, for that actually latter segment of people who are like, yeah, no, I'm doing this, I'm doing great, making tons of money. 
you've got to keep in mind there that you know, there's this line from William Gibson, who's a futurist, who says the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. <laughs> and so industries and places and people aren't all moving at exactly the same time. And the early, the early people who came into this space, they're a little bit protected from change mm -hmm. in the sense that they have the large audience, they have a certain amount of momentum. And so, you know, rather than their sales all drying up at once, they're going to start eroding bit by bit by bit. There's business instead of growing a bit every year will be declining a bit every year, unless they are keeping continuing to move and evolve and innovate and stay ahead. And so, you know, everyone's got to do it. It's just a matter of how much and at what pace, but you always want to look at, well, when I look at the, the outcomes that I'm creating for people, is it what they want? Is it to their satisfaction? Or am I justifying it, making arguments for why it should be good enough? Right? That's the, there's a great line from Jeffrey Gittimer who said, people hate being sold, but they love to buy. Right? What's the difference? The difference is that buying is a powerful sensation. Right? You know the line, Veni, Vidi, Vici? You know, I came, I saw, I conquered. That's what buying feels like. I saw something, I wanted, I made it mine. Right? It's getting exactly what you want. That's why people who feel like their lives are out of control sometimes turn to retail therapy, right? Because for a little moment, I see it, I take it, I swipe my credit card, I'm gaining control over my life. Not in a healthy way, obviously, but you know, that's, that's the experience. So buying is saying, I, saying or feeling or thinking, I want this and it becomes yours. Mm -hmm. Being sold to is saying or feeling or thinking, I want this, and then being told implicitly or explicitly, I'm sorry, we can't do that. But let me tell you why this thing you don't want should be good enough anyway. Right. right. And that's what we are often doing with our offers, with our courses, with the things we're selling. I know this is what you want, but that's not realistic. That's not doable. It's not practical. Here, have this instead. Mm -hmm. And that makes it a little bit harder. And over time, it gets worse and worse. Right. So you always want to be moving in the direction of how do I have to sell less and how do I make it easier for people to buy? How do I make it so that? They say or think, this is what I want. And all you have to do is say, yes, here you go. This is what I have. This is what I do. Yeah. And I've heard it said, um, particularly in the coaching industry, particularly with coaches that do deeply transformational inner journey work, there's a lot of skepticism about online and, and whether that kind of work is actually possible online. What would you say to that, Danny? I would say that there is a bit of a naivete to that perspective okay. in the sense that I'm trying to think how to, how to explain this. Um, so in, in your example, you're talking about someone who has a lot of experience, mm -hmm. a lot of skill doing very deep work. In other words, they've practiced this for a long time. Yeah. And so what are we comparing here? And behind door number one, we're comparing something, you have a wealth of training, experience, expertise, practice. You're not comparing it to a different modality that you're just as good at. You're comparing it to a different modality that you know almost nothing about. It's, it's a little bit, here's a good analogy. It's a little bit like someone who is a lifelong sprinter and distance runner, comparing that with how quickly they can get around on a bicycle when they've never learned how to ride it. <laughs> right. right? It's like the bicycle may or may not be better as a, as a, as a way of getting around, but you can't compare your, your comfort on a bicycle the first time with your comfort with walking, which you've been doing for decades, right? And so every modality of teaching, of training, of delivery has its strengths and has its disadvantages. 
the same is true for in-person, right? There are a lot of things that are great about an in-person learning and training experience. It's, it's potentially immersive. It's um, able, you, you can have people be very embodied in the practice. You can see them. So there's a very direct feedback channel, right? There are also a lot of things that are very disadvantageous about that format, right? You have to synchronize your calendars to be in the same place at the same time, which means that the length of a lesson has really nothing to do with the optimal length of delivering the content and more about it doesn't make sense for us to get together for 15 minutes if you know I have to come across town or get on a plane. Right. And so we're going to put everything in blocks of you know 45 or 60 or 90 minutes. We're going to do it once a week, which is you know all a logistical concern, nothing about learning. Um, we're going to structure it in groups and classes of certain sizes. Why? Not because it's necessarily optimal for learning, but because that's the the you know easiest way to deliver without needing certain technological interventions. Right? The list goes on and on. There's a lot that is very suboptimal about an in-person learning experience. But when you're an expert in that in-person learning delivery modality, and you're not an expert in doing it another way, what do you do? You take what you know and you say, how can I do this online? Mm-hmm. And what you end up with is a poor man's version of what may or may not have been a great experience to begin with, but you essentially don't get any of the benefits of in-person, but you somehow manage to replicate all the disadvantages. <laughs> And so what you really want to do is think about how can I reimagine this experience, not look at this thing I do in person. How can I do the same thing online? Say, well, why was I doing this thing in person to begin with? What was my goal? And go from the goal and say, well, what's a new way I can imagine to achieve this goal? And and that process takes time, right? It took everyone listening to this. You've been doing this for decades. It took you decades to get this good. So you've got to give it at least months, if not years, to develop some of that skill and muscle memory. But I would say I've seen very deep work, very powerful transformations happen online, semi-synchronously, virtually. And that's not to take away from the value of an in-person experience. But again, hybrid is not about extremes. It's about having the slider. Right. right. You can do a lot of stuff online and also do certain things synchronously at the same time, whether it's virtual or in person or a mix of both. Yeah. Right. But I want you to have access to the entire toolbox to create something amazing. And of course, if you're if you're an expert with a hammer, but you've never used a screwdriver, if you try to use a screwdriver like a hammer, it's not going to be very effective. <laughs> I totally get that. What you don't realize, Danny, is you've just spoke, you've just kind of given voice to my journey. When I came in 2009, that was exactly what I did because I was doing deep transformational work, tried to replicate it online. But back then there wasn't a lot of training around how to move online. So it was this whole, I felt like, you know, it reminded me of my uh, A-level biology classes back at school where we used to study the woodlouse that was kind of constantly going back side to side with its head and finding its way through trial and error as it was walking through a maze. And, and that's what it felt like to me. I was just kind of, okay, so I can't just replicate online. So now I need to look at what am I really trying to do? And quite honestly, it took me years to figure it out. And so I love that you're here now with these shortcuts because I wished, you know, I'd known what what you've taught me to this day back then because it's just so much easier to follow someone who's who's kind of walked the path before you. So, you know, I'm really inspired by what you're saying here. And I, I love this idea of the hybrid course revolution and the slider, because very often we get into these discussions about polarities, like, is it this or is it that? Is it that or is it that? And you're saying, actually, no, it could be all of them, 
but you've really to take this and make it your own. That's what I'm hearing you say. Make it your own and, and really create something unique and very powerful. So how do you help people do that? Uh, well, through a variety of ways. Um, this is what my, my, my career and my work and my organization do. And it's, you know, we've been good enough at it that we've grown quite a lot. So it's not just me. I mean, we're about 80 people now that work with coaches and consultants and expertise-driven entrepreneurs to do these things. Um, and we have coaching programs and that kind of stuff. But once a year, we open the doors on a big flagship enrollment into our big program. And this year, it's a particularly exciting one. We've rebuilt everything we do to reflect kind of all these shifts in the market over the last couple of years. Um, and so we're gearing up to do that. And that's coming soon. And I know you're going to be sharing some updates with your listeners about that. But leading up to that, we always do a whole bunch of cool free training. And so depending on when people are listening to this, there's going to be different stuff and different resources available right now. And I know that you'll have, I guess, links in the show notes and you'll send out emails. And so people can jump in on whatever feels like the, the most interesting thing they can jump in on right now. Thank you. And um, one thing that I do want to ask you is, you know, you sound like you've, you really understand this space of, of online training. And I understand how things have evolved to this point, but I'd love to get your sense of where do you feel this is headed? Is this an industry that people could find some security in going forward? It's an interesting question. I think security is a very relative thing and it depends on how you how you, how you understand that word, right? So if by security, you mean kind of the old internet marketery, you know, build a machine that you can set and forget and it'll automatically put money in your bank account every month while you're, you know, lying with your laptop on the beach and trying to keep sand out of the keyboard, then no, I don't, but I don't think that exists anywhere really. <laughs> um, but in terms of, is there a real meaningful, significant opportunity to create impact for others and income for you? Yes, absolutely. Because online courses, hybrid online courses specifically, they exist in this really interesting balance point where on the one hand, you've got you know, high, highly, um, highly individualized one-on-one -on -one work, which is high value. People will pay a lot of money for it. But of course, it takes an enormous amount of your time. And so you know, there's only so much of it available. There's a ceiling there. And on the other extreme, you've got information products like books and audios and PDFs and so forth that can reach an unlimited number of people, but the impact is relatively low. And then you have the challenge of, well, how am I going to reach that many people? I can only like do very well with this if I can reach hundreds of thousands of people and I just don't have that kind of reach. Right. Hybrid online courses are right in the balance there where they are deep and impactful and transformational, but they're also premium enough that you don't need huge numbers. So if you're selling a course for a thousand or 2000 or 3000 or whatever dollars, and you bring in, you know, a hundred of those every year, 200 of those every year, whether that's a side gig that you do part-time, whether that's, you know, your whole, your whole livelihood, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's very, very doable and an upgrade for a lot of people working a lot less than they otherwise would have and creating a lot more impact in the world around them. So Yes, I think there is a tremendous amount of opportunity for um, not security in the in the caricaturized sense, um, but stability and sustainable impact for sure. Yeah, 
I love that. And thank you for sharing that, because I know that there is still some cynicism in some areas, uh, you know, where people are thinking, is this really for me? And what I've heard you talk about today, this is something you need to explore for yourself. That's your decision, whether it is for you or not. But really understand the, the methodologies and the possibilities of what's available to you here online, because it's certainly a very different landscape than it was even just a couple of years ago now. So, so I really get that. So the, my final question for you, uh, Danny, is just that, you know, we've talked through a lot here around kind of the hybrid course revolution, how people can make a bigger impact online, all these elements. If there's anything that you'd want to share with our listeners, any wisdom that you just want to leave them with, what might it be? Just that we're, we're at a place where there's so much opportunity everywhere. Um, you know, I have the great privilege of working with a lot of people who have really deep substantive expertise. I have a real gift that can make a big difference in the lives of the people around them. Mm -hmm. And there's something beautiful about taking that and packaging it in a way that really makes that difference for people. You get to be the first domino that knocks down the other dominoes to create the change that you want to see in the world. There's just something very special and very important about that. And so you know, it's a great opportunity, certainly, but there, there's also an, a dimension of responsibility, right? If, you know, to paraphrase um, Voltaire and also, you know, Spider-Man's uncle, if, if you have an ability to help people and to make a difference for people, you also have the responsibility to do that. I love that. I do. Thank you so much, Danny. I know our audience will feel really inspired um, by you sharing your wisdom today. So thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you for having me. It was completely my pleasure and my privilege. Okay, everyone. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. A big thank you to our sponsors, Coaches Business School, who are helping us make a global impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact, you'll need to understand how to build a business that works today. Check out Coaches Business School to transform your business with purpose-driven profits. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love. <laughs>